We're in the middle of a series right now called Go Big, and uh, we're believing, you know, Pastor Stan's been saying uh, for a long time we went, we went home, uh, so now it's time to go big. Go big or go home. And this year we decided to go big, and uh, I love the fact that while we're going big uh, in this season, there's a lot of restrictions around us, but who knows, our faith isn't governed by what's happening around us. Come on, our faith is governed by our God, our faith in Him, our belief in Him. And uh, we're excited about what God's got in store through this series. One thing when it, comes to, when it comes to life, one thing we can probably all agree upon, no matter how long you've been here on earth for, uh, at the end of the day, uh, one thing that is common in life is we're all going to run into problems, all right? This world has problems. You have problems. I got problems, all right? We all, we all got problems. And at different times and stages, at different stages in life, you run into different kind of problems, different kind of struggles, different kind of obstacles in your journey. Uh, but what I've found is the problem we face aren't always the only problems. Uh, what I've also found in life is the problem itself isn't the only problem. Often the added problem to the problem is the stupid solution I come up with to solve the problem. And uh, anyone guilty of coming up with a stupid solution uh, for a problem? I reckon it's, it's probably strongest. The, 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 the solutions that create bigger problems are probably the strongest between 18 and 25. You're empowered enough with enough freedom and decision-making power to make your own decisions, but your prefrontal cortex isn't developed enough to help you think through those decisions. And uh, I remember in my kind of early adult years for, after leaving high school, running into some problems that came up with some pretty stupid solutions for. Uh, I actually had a friend who needed to move a, a bed from one flat to, a, to about a kilometer down the road to another flat. The problem was, is he had this single bed uh, and he had, a, he had a sedan, so he had, he had a car, just a normal car. And the problem is, is he also didn't have any rope. And so the prob- that was the problem he was facing. I need to go a kilometer down the road with this bed. I don't want to carry it, uh, but me and my friend, we have to try and fit it on this on this car or in this car uh, without any rope. And so the solution they came up with was one of them would drive the car while the other, while they put the, the bed on the roof and then they wound down the windows and one guy lied on the bed and just held on to the car. And so that, that was the solution to the problem. I'll just hold on and it's only a kilometer. The bigger problem that caused is they didn't think through the, the, the police car that was going to drive down the road at the same time as them hugging, hugging the roof. And uh, I, also, I also remember another time, um, it was about 17, and I was hanging out uh, where I grew up. was in quite a rural setting, and I was hanging out on a mate's farm with them. We were, we were quite far down the back of this farm up in the hills, and uh, we got caught in a hailstorm. It was just like this freak hailstorm. And so what we did is we jumped the fence uh, over to the neighbor's paddock because he had, a, he had a barn up the back of the paddock. And so we, we, we jumped the fence. And, and we hid in there for about an hour while it was hailing and, and raining. And while we were there, uh, is we decided we'd light a little fire. And so we'd been there long enough. So we light a fire in the corner of this guy's barn and we're sitting there. And then the, then the rain stops and the hail stops and we decide, oh, we should probably head home. So the problem we were then faced with, though, is we didn't want to wait for the fire to go out because we didn't want to wait that long. And the other problem with all of that is we also didn't have anything to put the fire out with. 
And so the, the solution we came up to our problem was the only thing we could find was there was this big, like, uh, big, like, sheet of timber. Uh, it was a massive sheet of timber. It was a little fire. So the solution we came up with, if we put the big piece of wood on the little fire, it should smother the fire out. And so our solution to the problem was put it on, on the fire. And then uh, we, we did that and we left. And then later on that evening, we look up the, the valley from his house and we just see smoke <laughs> coming down the hill. <laughs> and uh, we burnt the neighbor's barn down. And because uh, often the solutions we come up with actually create bigger problems than the problem itself. And who knows, that's actually true in life. We create relational problems, but the solutions we come up with often will make bigger problems in our relationships because the solution is let's just knuckle down and figure this out on our own. We, we get into financial problems and then the, the solutions we come up with will often cause us to get in bigger problems because the same solution is let's not tell anyone, let's try and figure this out and uh, let, let's get debt to get out of more debt and, and before you know it, you create bigger problems than the original problem. I had a, my first vehicle was a 1987 Mitsubishi Delica uh, star wagon van. It was column shift and it was $300. Found it on the side of the road and uh, it had a warrant. Um, not, not, not a current one, but it had one at one point in time. And so people were like, does it have a warrant? I'm like, yep, it did. And uh, <laughs> Anyway, and uh, what happened is this, uh, it, was, it was like an eight-seater, and, uh, and it, had, it had the sliding door on the side. It also had a big sunroof, and uh, what happened is the door actually broke the sliding door. So the solution was is I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would seal the door shut. And then if people wanted to get in the back, they could either climb through the boot, climb through the front seat, or climb through the sunroof on the, in the middle of the thing. The, that was the solution. The problem that caused is my van ended up with dents all over the side of it and smashed windows because people would jump on the side of it to try and get into the roof. And we often in life will create problems We'll, ha we'll create solutions to problems that cause problems. And uh, my, when I was year 13 in high school, actually, my, my, the school I went to created a, a solution that ended up creating a bigger problem. They didn't realize that the problem initially was that there was too much rubbish around the school. That was the initial problem. The students don't care enough to pick up rubbish. And uh, the solution they came up with is they thought, what would be a good idea if we created a certain type of a detention? So there's three tier of detentions at my school. And uh, the lowest tier was a rubbish detention. And so you had to walk around for half a lunchtime picking up rubbish. How you got a rubbish detention, though, is not just if you were caught dropping rubbish, how, how the solution they come up with was if you were caught standing next to rubbish, whether it was your rubbish or somebody else's rubbish, it didn't matter whose rubbish it was. If it was near you and you didn't do anything about it, you got a rubbish detention. And so they created this solution. The other problem to their solution is they thought, you know what, we've got a mature group of year 13s. Why don't we empower the year 13s to give out these rubbish detentions? And so when I started my year 13 year, they empowered us with this ability to hand out detentions. What they didn't think through was most year 13s had younger siblings. Uh, most year 13s had people in the school that they were annoyed at or, or, or liked to like to see get punished. And so what happened is, is what the year 13s did is we started walking around with handfuls of rubbish. 
And we'd find people who were, who were getting smart or cheeky and throw rubbish at them and say, you're standing next to rubbish. And then we would write them a rubbish detention. And uh, that week was a record attendance of detentions in the school. And uh, the following week, every year level from year nine to year 12, wrote a petition uh, to remove year 13s from having the power. We got power hungry too quick. But the solution was, was the, the, the problem was there's this problem we can all see, uh, but nobody's doing anything about it. So let's create a solution to try and motivate people to do something. It's just the, the answer wasn't really, because the problem is, is not that we didn't see the rubbish. The problem wasn't that we didn't know it was there. The problem wasn't even that we didn't know how to clean it. The problem, to be honest, wasn't even that we didn't care. No one really wanted to, no one really wanted to live in a school that had rubbish everywhere. The actual problem was, is that everybody just thought it was somebody else's job to clean it up. Oh, it's just somebody, don't, don't we employ a janitor for that? The problem was, is that we'd see the problem, but the solution in our mind was this, oh, that's somebody else's problem. And then that doesn't just happen as a year 13 in school, looking it actually happens in life. We see a problem, and it's not that we don't care, it's not that we don't even know how to answer it. It's just that often we create a, 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 an excuse to remove responsibility of ourselves to say, oh yes, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should help them out. And if you're Christian enough, you, you'd even go to the center man, I really pray that somebody would really step in and help them out there. I'll be praying. Why? Because we create these excuses or we create these things to, 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 to the problems we know we should, we could, we might be able to help, but we just decide to say, hey, you know what, that's, that's somebody else's problem. You know what I love about the gospel and the message of God is God looked down at our biggest problem. He looked down at our sin. He looked down at the mess we created. He looked down at the, at the, at the sin we committed and didn't go, well, that's their problem to deal with. That's their mess to clean up. He looked down and saw the sin, the brokenness, the hurt of this world and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be the answer to this. I love the fact the whole message of the gospel is God answering our problem. God answering our sin, our need to, to find an answer. No, no fault. God doesn't even need us but he desires us and he made a decision to say, hey, it might have been their fault, but I'm going to make it my problem. You see, often in life, we often would even not just dismiss the things we care about. We even go, well, that's somebody else's issue to deal with. But the message of the gospel is actually a, a message of a God that got involved in our problem. Though we didn't deserve it or earn it, he decided to get involved. You know, when I, when I first started working as, as a cabinet maker, my, my first day of on-site induction was pretty casual. Uh, my boss showed me around the workshop. He said, uh, and this, <laughs> you wouldn't get away with this nowadays. Uh, the induction was, here's the tools, here's the saw. Um, the dress code is, you can wear jandals if you want, but if you cut a toe off, it didn't happen here. Uh, <laughs> and so that was our health and safety policy. If you got hurt, it didn't happen here. Uh, and, uh, and then, but part of the induction at towards the end there, and he said, oh, and by the way, he goes, your mum's not here. I was like, yeah, I know, it'd be a bit weird if she was. But he goes, your mum's not here, so if you see a mess, clean the mess. 
because your mum's not here. You see, one thing I've kind of realized is a lot of mess, a lot of things in life, we dismiss our engagement with it because we just go, oh, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will share that. Somebody else will reach them. Somebody else will answer that. Somebody else will fill that need. And I believe we need to be a people. I believe in the call to Christians isn't to just put our hands up in the end and go, oh, well, somebody else is going to deal with that. But the call is to actually engage with this world, engage with the need of this world, engage with the problems of the world and say, it might not even be my fault. Like I remember moving into a flat. We'd have huge arguments because it'd be massive in, in some part of the, the flat and everyone would sit around and say, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And the reality is when it comes to the, the, some of the needs and some of the, the things in this world, it doesn't matter who created the mess. The call of the gospel is that we would become an answer. Not judge who created it, but be an answer to it. And uh, you see it right through. I, lo- I love even you see it in the life of Jesus and, and, and as he's taking the, go- the disciples on, on a journey. Even in John 4, there's this moment where he finds, a lot of us know the story, he finds himself with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. Now, for those who understand Scripture, understand that Samaritans were kind of once part of the Jewish tribes, but kind of got pushed aside because they turned their back on, on God, and so they were considered outcasts. And so Jews didn't care for Samaritans. They were no longer God's people. But when Jesus uh, comes and he's taking his disciples, his Jewish disciples on a journey of understanding the heart of God. One of the stories is when Jesus finds himself by a well with the Samaritan woman. Now, the Samaritan woman had gone through a lot of pain in life. And uh, as, as, as many of us know the story, she had been in, in five marriages and the current person she was with, uh, she wasn't even married to. And so you can just see there's been a lot of relational pain, a lot of relational hurt, a lot of mess had gone on. But the disciples aren't with Jesus at this time. Jesus has this moment with this lady and brings healing to her life, brings a sense of wholeness and, and, and restoration to her world. And then the disciples show back up. And when the disciples show up, the biggest question on their mind is why is Jesus talking to her? She's a Samaritan. God is for the Jews. Why is he talking to a Samaritan? Like I understand why he talked to Matthew, who was a tax collector, because at least he was a Jew. But the sin of Samaria isn't the problem for our God. Their sin is their problem. But I love the fact that Jesus said, no, it doesn't matter what the sin was. I'm going to make it my problem. I'm going to take on the responsibility. I'm not just here for the people I like or the people I'm here for everybody. And you see this heart early on. And I, I just want to say, even as we're going big, it's one thing for us to stand here as a church and say, we're going to go big. But if all it is is us standing here in hope and then walking out the door and going, man, I, I, I really hope somebody does something big this year. Man, I really hope that, man, I really hope they, whoever they are, I hope they're all, man, they are really busy people. Because they have to do a whole lot in this world. Because so many problems that that we don't want to engage with, but we're Christian enough to care about, we put the responsibility on they. Man, I really hope that they do something about that. Man, I really hope this year that they go big in this year. I can't wait until they do it. I want to say, if we're going to go big as a church and see God do big things in our world, we got to get rid of the they and go, no, not what are they going to do this year? What am I going to do this year? What's God calling me to this year? 
You see, at the end of the day, uh, Christians, part of our danger is we become great commentators. Man, I can give a good commentary on this world. Like, honestly, if you want to go out for dinner, I've got some comments to make about this world. We are good at commentary. Good at giving instruction. We even make good coaches. But really, this world's in need of players. I mean, I, growing up in a rural setting, my, my season in my early rugby career uh, dropped out just before I went professional. And uh, for the Thames Valley Swamp Foxes. Uh, but uh, the, growing up, and played rugby every year from the age of five right through about 17. And uh, every year, pretty much, it would start the same. If you played rugby in a small town, you'd understand. It would start with the, the team would be there on at first practice. And the coaches generally had a bit of a dress code. They'd start with gumboots. They'd come out with their gumboots on, generally red band gumboots. And uh, they'd always have stubbies on. And then they'd always have the T-shirt on from the heydays. You know, it'd be like the rugby jumper from back in there from when they were in the first 15. I'm like, mate, it was 30 years ago. Let it go. And uh, so they'd have this shirt on that was too tight. And that, by now, their, their, their body's developed, and so they've grown a stomach. And so generally the attire would be gumboots, shorts, uh, a, a tight T-shirt, a belly hanging out of it. And uh, on a good night, they'll be holding a Waikato in their hand. And uh, they'd address the team, and they'll go, you know what's going to win it for us this year, team? We need to be serious about our fitness. I'm like, yeah, you need to be serious about that. But we love to give a, we, we love to give a, a, a coach's rhetoric. Do we love to give commentary on things? But I want to say the call to go big is actually also a call to us as a church to engage. It's a call to engage. Engage with what God's wanting to do. Engage with the need in our world. Engage with the people in our world. Don't just engage with what's happening here on Sunday. Yeah, engage with this. But if we're going to live this life and see God do a big thing in our city, we've got to be prepared to actually engage. Engage in the mission in the mission of God. Many of us will be familiar with the, the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. And um, the story of the Good Samaritan is actually Jesus' answer to a, to a question from a teacher of the law. Teacher of the law comes to Jesus and asks him this question. He, 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 uh, he, he's talking about inheriting eternal life and all of that and what must it do. And, and, uh, and Jesus responds to him, well, what, what do you think? And then the, the guy answers, well, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And you must love your neighbor. And then Jesus answers him like this in Luke 10 verse 18. He says, you have answered correctly. Then he goes on to say, do this. And you will live. He knew it. But the instruction from Jesus was to do it. And this is where we find the story of the Good Samaritan. Because it wasn't an answer of knowledge. It was actually a call to engage. Yeah, teacher of the law, I know you know this. The question I'm not, I'm, I'm not asking you tonight, how much do you know? I'm asking you, how much are you engaging with? How much are you actually engaging with the scripture you're reading, the mission you know? How much are you engaging with the call of God that you know, that dream that God's put on your heart? Are you engaging with that? And then what happens is, is Jesus then goes on to say, and uh, 20, verse 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he said, well, who is my neighbor then? 
And Jesus answers with this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Talks about, as, as many of us, even if you're new to church, you'll know the, probably the principle of the Good Samaritan. There's a guy beating up on the side of the road. First of all, a priest walks past, sees the man, uh, decides to cross over on the other side of the road. Why? Because probably the priest had somewhere important to go. And somebody else surely will help this man. I got important, I'm busy, my schedule's full. Somebody else will deal with this. So crosses and carries on. Next, the Levi crosses the road. We know the story. The same thing. So I'm sure. I'm sure that the mindset wouldn't have been. Oh, I just. Don't, I, I don't care. That more than likely, the mindset would have been somebody else will stop and help him. Surely somebody else will deal with that. That's, that's the first thing that amazed me when I moved into Auckland is where I grew up. If someone broke down on the side of the road and you're the first one to drive past, you stop to help. I grew up in a small community. When I moved to Auckland, I remember stopping in the Waterview Tunnel to help a guy with a flat tire. When I, when I first, and, and then when I stopped, he freaked out. I'm like, this is what we do. But hundreds of cars were driving past, and then the actual mechanic guy pulled up, and he said, hey, get in your car and go. You're not supposed to stop here. I'm like, ah, oh, up here there is somebody else. And, and, and the reality is, because where I grew up, there isn't somebody else. You are the other out, the, the somebody. But the reality is we get into that mindset. And so you find the same the same mentality that Jesus is addressing. And so he talks about how the Levi done that. And then he talks about how the Samaritan, we know the story, stops, helps the man, puts the man on his donkey, takes him to an inn. This, this is interesting. He, he, puts a, he gives him to the, the innkeeper and he says this. He says, I've got to carry on, but what, if you can take care of him, whatever's necessary, when I come back, I will repay you for everything you've done. Now, now some commentaries will say this is actually a type of the church, is, is what What's happening is the Samaritan drops a broken man off and says, hey, can you care for this brokenness? And, and, and then when I come back, I will repay you for what you've done. Some people say it's a, it's a type like Jesus. He, he brings the church together and, and, and the idea that we would embrace the brokenness of our world, embrace the hurt in our world, embrace those that need healing. And then he says to us, we understand. And then when he comes back, what's he going to do? He's going to repay you for what you did. He's going to repay you. But the whole concept of the church is that we would embrace the brokenness. We'd embrace the hurting. We wouldn't be the somebody else type people. We'd be the ones that open our door and say, oh, this might cost us, but let's pay the price. It doesn't matter anyway. One day our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and pay us back for everything we've done anyway. Don't spare any expense. We'd be that kind of church. Open doors, open hearts. Not walking past, too busy, saying, man, I hope somebody else. I hope somebody else. And then he, so Jesus tells this parable, and then in, in Luke 10, verse 36, when the parable ends, Jesus asks this question back to the man. He says, which of these do you think is a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? In verse 37, it says, the expert said to the man, or replied to, to Jesus, the one who had mercy on him. What's interesting about the question Jesus asks in verse 36 is he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? The man posed the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, no, but who was the neighbor? He didn't answer the question of who is your neighbor. He actually flipped the question and said, are you a neighbor? The question is, how are you being a neighbor? And uh, three things I just want to quickly share tonight, because when it comes to going big, 
I believe there's some responsibilities as a Christian we can't put off to somebody else. Now, I believe every need in this world the church can engage with. I believe there's people, God's raising up teachers, lawyers, doctors, different skill sets, different callings to be an answer. Our, our call isn't to disengage with the world, it's to engage with the world. That doesn't mean everybody needs to be an answer to every problem. If you try and answer every problem, you'll end up becoming a problem. <laughs> and so you need to identify with what's the, what's the need God's called you to. A lot of people, young people in particular, are looking for what's the call of God on my life? What's the thing God's asking me to do? A better way to phrase that question is what's the need God's asking me to answer? I found more clarity in my life, not asking what I should do, but God, what's the need that I should be an answer to? But I think as a, as a believer, there is some things that, that none of us have the right to go, oh yeah, that's somebody else's job. I believe there's some things as a Christian that is all our jobs. Some things that the answer to, to the mess is you. Yeah, at the end of the day, the realization that, that nobody else is coming to some things, that it is us. And, and while there's some things, some needs in this world, I believe people are called to, there's also some things that Christ calls us to. And just for the sake of time, I believe there's three quick things. I believe there's more than that, but just for tonight, three things I found in my heart. If we're going to go big this year and we're going to see God do a big thing, there's some things we can't leave today. There's some things that I've got to say, okay, I'm the one who needs to engage with this here. The first one is, I believe every believer is called to the sharing of the gospel. Every believer is called to the sharing of the gospel. It's a call to all of us to, to be the light into the world. It's the call to all of us. It's something to, that, that we can't just leave up to the crazy-eyed evangelist out on the street to do. That the sharing of the gospel, I believe, is something if we're going to go big, we all got to go, this year, how am I going to engage with the sharing of my story, the sharing of what God's done in my life, the sharing of the goodness of my God? I love in Matthew when Jesus is sending out the disciples on one of their trips, on one of their missions trips. Jesus says this statement. He says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the rooftop. And I believe that's a command for all of us. Come on, what God's done in your life isn't to just be kept for you, but to be shared by those around you. But I love how we put it, what I, what I, what I whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the rooftops. Because when they went into towns, often rabbis and different people would go into towns and they wouldn't have platforms to preach from. They wouldn't have stages and lights and all this. What they'll do is they'll climb up on a rooftop and now from the rooftop, they'd proclaim to a group of people. But I, I love the, the command of Jesus is wherever you find yourself, turn that place into a platform to be a platform where you can share of the goodness of what I've done in your life. Wherever you find yourself in life, turn that environment, turn that position, turn that opportunity, and not into an opportunity for self-promotion or self-gain or self-success, but use it as an opportunity to share of the good things God has done in your world. All of us can't leave that up today. If we're going to go big, we've got to engage with that. If you find yourself at university, use that as a platform. 
If you find yourself at work, use that as a platform. If you find yourself around a dinner table with family, use that as a platform to share of the good things that God has done in your world. First thing is, I believe we're called to share the good news of what God's done. The second is, I believe we're called to serve those around us. Serve those around us. The call of a Christian to serve is not one we can leave up today. Yeah, I hope they help out there. So know that Jesus set an example to live, for us to live by. And I love what we teach and equip is that Jesus didn't come and disguise himself as a servant. He came and revealed the heart of God, which is to serve. The heart of God. People expected a warrior, and they found a servant. People didn't realize actually the heart of God isn't only to fight. It's also to serve, to come underneath, to lift people up. In fact, Jesus takes this so seriously in Matthew 25, verse 35. He's giving some instruction to, to people. He's talking about his return. And uh, he says this to the people. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as, as a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we uh, see you sick and in prison and go and visit you? And then the king replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of your brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I love the fact that the matter of the heart to serve and look out beyond our own self-serving world and to look out to others and find needs in others' lives. It was so close to the heart of God. He said, actually, I'm going to tie how you treat them to how you treat me. I don't just care for your lip service and, and your nice prayers, although that that's important, but I'm also going to tie how you treat whoever you consider the least. How you treat them is how you treat me. God cared so much about it, He tied Himself to it. He cares that, that as believers in this world, we don't just live, do our time and graduate, but that why we're here, we share the gospel, but we serve, serve the needs, serve the lives around us. Meet the needs. Monday to Friday isn't about just getting through the grind. It's about finding opportunities in the week to look out for those around us and say, hey, how can I help here? How can I meet? And serving will open up doors for salvation. And the last thing, just if the team can come join me, that I, that I believe as a church, this has been evident in our church for a long time, but I want to say needs to continue to be is we can't excuse ourselves from the sharing of the gospel, the serving of those around us. But we also can't excuse ourselves from reaching to another generation. Reaching to another generation. I believe the heart, you look right throughout Scripture and legacy matters. Generations matter. God cares about generations. God created generations. It was God's concept. He's a generational God. 
does one generation care more about another gen- uh, care more to God than another generation? Not at all. Often we, as a church in particular, I love our church because we've got people that have been in this church for years and the music isn't their preference. It's about 20 decibels way too loud for them. There's far too much dancing involved. The music isn't the preference. The style isn't the preference. The service times aren't our preference. The $7 car parking isn't my preference. A lot of people that have been in this church a long time that have decided to build a church not on preference, but build a church that's going to be positioned to reach another generation. And as a church, we've got to be committed to reaching always another generation. Does God care about the next more than He did about the last? No. I just believe God understands that the, the present should be mature enough to know the love of Christ and the identity in Christ that they can put aside preference to reach the, the next. And as a church, whatever age you're at, I want to say if we're going to keep going big as a church, you've got to keep figuring out, well, what can I do to serve the next? To serve the next? To business for the next? Am I saying sign up to kids? Maybe. <laughs> Join a youth, drive a van, maybe, maybe not though. It's not the only way. I love the fact this morning we had a couple of 18-year-olds in our church for the first time. It was awesome just looking for a church, a place to connect. And you know, I love it wasn't other 18-year-olds because most of them were sleeping still. That were here this morning, connecting with them. It was an older generation walking across the auditorium to connect in to take the younger ones to other younger ones and say, hey, I I think you guys should connect. A generation that's willing to serve. As one of my first uh, kind of roles in church um, was I was a a hub leader or a youth pastor uh, uh, in in the town I grew up in. And in the church I was there, there was this old old dude, his name was Ron. Ron, just one of those old dudes that the exterior just was so grumpy. He'd sit in the back of church, and if anyone ever touched his chair, you knew about it. Don't ever sit in Ron's chair. And anyway, Ron was this man who came across so grumpy, and a lot of people from the outset thought he's just a grumpy old man. But what happened is we used to go to this youth camp, and this youth camp would run right across the weekend. Not many people knew this, but what would happen about two, three weeks out, Ron would come up to me as a youth pastor, and he goes, hey, because at the time we'd we had a bunch of youth in church, but many of them couldn't afford to be in these environments. And he'd walk up to me about two, three weeks out and goes, how much more do you need to make sure you can take everybody? And I'll tell him, and he'd give me more. And then as he gives it to me, he goes, I'm just giving you this so you can get rid of the teenagers for a weekend. He goes, I enjoy one Sunday a year. <laughs> And it's this, it's a, if I have to pay $5,000 to get rid of them, that, that was the exterior. But you know, the thing with Ron is what would happen, we'd go to this youth camp and then he'd come back. Ron used to come to the office once a week and towards the end there and we'd have Shrewsbury's and English breakfast tea. And uh, we'd sit across and he'd ask, how was the camp? And I'd just share the testimonies of the changed lives. And it, and it would move him. Not many people would see it, but it would move him. He's old, he was in about his, his 80s. He was in a church where he hated the music and he told me every Sunday. But he was like, we got to protect the next generation coming through. They're going to do more. His exterior wasn't that, but his heart was 
How can I help? Ron's not going to come out and drive a van on a Friday night. Ain't nobody want that. (laughs) The police don't want that. They took his license off him. But he found a way. He found a way. I want to say whether it's praying, whether it's connecting. As a church, we're going to be a generational church. Let's not just leave it up. I hope they do something. How can I? Big or small, little. I want to say, come on, let's keep building a church that's going to reach another generation. Another and another and another and another. We're not building a church of personal preference. We're creating a church that's going to reach another. Come on, every time, another, another. And I'm thankful for every person in this church that's been here well beyond me that have built this. Come on, even the young ones in this room, people have put aside preference to build a church so you could engage here. The question is, what are you going to put aside so others might engage here?